So those of you that have been with us, you know that we are uh, doing a study of the book of, of a few of the judges. Those of you probably that were raised in Christian homes and had Bible stories written, read to you, some of these stories are familiar. If you just listen to Sunday morning service sermons, a lot of times we don't uh, we don't pick these stories to preach about. And you know, when we were planning on doing a series on judges, I thought, boy, this ought to be interesting. And as we kind of of set our schedule, and it's kind of who can is available what what Sunday. I came up with Jephthah. I think I drew the short straw. If you're familiar with the story of Jephthah, the account of Jephthah, I don't like to say stories because these are true. They happened, they're historical, and they have meaning for us today. Jephthah, mom was a prostitute. He went to live with his dad and his wife and their children. As they got older, the kids drove him out of the house. He went and became a cartel leader of a bunch of misfits and gangs. And then God, through, you know, it's kind of interesting, you know, last week we had Gideon and the angel of the Lord came to Gideon, but this time it's the very guys that that drove him out of the house, came and said, hey, we need help. And he came, and he uh, used his warrior skills to go and defeat the Ammonites. But as he did, he made a vow to God. He said, God, if you give us the victory, because he knew that, that they were up against all odds. If you give, me the, give us the victory... I will sacrifice whatever comes, the first thing that comes out of my house. Now, I don't know what kind of a vow that was that he was expecting. I don't know if he had a pet, favorite pet dog that he thought had come out. But anyway, the story or the account is that his daughter, his only child, came out the door. And he sacrificed her. Now, where... What can we learn from this? When I told Heidi that what I had, the judge I was preaching on, she says, oh, I get so angry when I read that story. <laughs> and you know, it'd be easy to say and preach, this is how we don't do it. Jessa is, we don't want to be like him. But there's a problem. Jephthah ends up in the honor roll of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, right alongside Abraham and Moses. So what redeeming quality, what redeeming lesson can we learn today? Those of you probably my age, I don't know how when they quit it, but there used to be a, a sports program on TV on Saturday afternoon called Wide World of Sports. Anybody remember that? I, I don't know how old you have to be to, to remember that. 
And their introduction was the thrill of victory. And I don't remember what the video, what the, you know, the, was about that. And the agony of defeat. And it showed a guy coming down the ski jump. I remember the agony. Guy coming down the ski, ski jump, remember? And he loses control and he tumbles and he crashes off the end and drops off the end of the ski jump. The agony of defeat. Well, this morning, we're going to look at the agony of victory. We just got done singing about it, didn't we? The agony of victory. Brady started us off with the cycle. Sin. And then oppression, then repentance, then deliverance, and then peace. And we see this over and over in Judges. And you know, it's easy for us to, to condemn and say, how could they forget? God delivers them, and then they, they go and they repeat the cycle. Well, Judges takes place over 300 years. So these aren't just like yesterday. You know, how are we to judge Israelites, when we go to Sunday and we listen to a sermon, we think, man, I'm going to change. This is life. And Monday, we've already forgotten it. The other thing we need to consider as we look at the, especially the Old Testament people, they didn't have the complete picture. In Hebrews chapter 11, where Jephthah is mentioned, it talks about these patriarchs, these men of old, these men and women of faith. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles here on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And in verse 39, and for all those, though commended for, through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And as the writer of Romans closes up, he says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic Writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. These judges, these men of old, they didn't have the complete picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had faith without complete understanding. And so they definitely goofed up. At times, they definitely 
took wrong turns. That does not, we, and this morning we're not going to, to act like that was okay for them. But I think we need to understand how God could still honor their faith when they didn't have the complete picture. See, we like to judge them in a term, in a, a concept called presentism. A number of years ago, Steve preached a sermon on that, how we tend to judge people from old by today's standards and understanding. An example would be, we see it very common in today. I think we would all agree that slavery is a horrible thing. And so therefore, in that understanding, we look at especially the founding fathers of our nation and we look at them and say, well, they had slaves they were evil men, so everything they did was evil. And we could even carry it, and people do, to the Bible of Abraham. He must have been an evil man because he had slaves. And Paul, because in his writings he did not condemn, outright condemn slavery. It does not make slavery right, but let's understand that that does not make these people evil. And so we need to look at these judges in somewhat of an understanding way and learn from them rather than judge them. So we look at Judges chapter 11, actually starting in chapter 10 in your pew Bible, it's page 211. In the sin cycle, we see it taking place. Judges 10, 6 says, The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And then 7 through 9, So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and in the hand of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. And then we see in verse 10, the repentance and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord saying, we have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. And so God sends a deliverer, Jephthah, chapter 11. Let's just start kind of reading it and getting the story out. Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall, know, you shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. We're off to a good start here. Conceived in sin. Raised in a dysfunctional family. Run out of his household by his half-brothers. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. 
and he became a gang leader. Now, I don't think these guys, this group of uh, worthless fellows, were out doing day labor, earnest and honest day's wage. They were probably selling protection to the local uh, shop owners. Uh, Pay us or we'll take care of you type of thing. And so it's amazing that God chose Jephthah, used Jephthah. So we have Israel in trouble. We have this guy leading this band of worthless fellows. And after a time, verse 4, and after a time the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our leader for we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did not? Did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? What an interesting turn of events. Suddenly these brothers, these men that had driven him out, were desperate. And they came to Jephthah said, help us out, bail us out. And, you know, God in his word lots of, lots of times lets, you know, lets some gaps there that we, we wish he would fill in. But if it was me, I think if I was Jephthah, I would have said, you know what, you guys? Forget it. Why would I bail you out when you threw me out? Why should I stick my neck out for you guys? I think we see a little bit here of Jesse's heart, of his faith, of his belief, because we see an interesting belief in, that he had in his Lord and God, in the God of Israel, and in his nation, for his people. And so Jephthah agrees to take on this role. He said, I'll do it if you let me run the show. And they were glad to let him take control. And so it's interesting, we won't read verses, uh, starting with verse 12 through 28, but Jephthah obviously is a well-informed person. And he tries to negotiate with the Ammonites He goes through a history lesson, citing the facts of history, that this land belonged to Israel. It never belonged to Ammon, to the Ammonites, because they were claiming, well, really, you guys took it from us, so we're just taking back what's ours, a little bit like the conflict over in Russia and Ukraine today. And Jephthah goes through and says, no, here's here's the story, here's the history, here's the facts. This is our land. 
And the Ammonites refused to accept that. There's another interesting verse in 27. After they refused, and Jessa says, I therefore have not sinned against you, and you do me wrong by making war on me. The Lord, the judge, decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. Jephthah's faith in the Lord, the judge. Jephthah acknowledged that this was God's fight, not his fight. This was God's fight. They were his people. And he declared that the victory would belong to the Lord. Because the odds were against them. And then we read in verse 29, Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. What we see here, he just, he just kind of going through the land trying to get get together a ragtag band of, of more misfits to fight this powerful enemy. He knew the, the odds were against him, but he knew the Lord was on his side. But then he made a vow. I'm not sure if he just didn't quite trust God or if it... We, again, we need to consider... The time of that, the the time of, that he lived in, where the concept was that you know the Ammonites had their god and was he powerful and they would do all their stuff to please him and Israel had their god and they declared their god the god and so they needed to do the things you know they had the law and the ceremonies and and all the sacrifices. To, to please God. And Jephthah says, in verse 30, starting with verse 30, and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the Ammonites, shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Now there's, I'm not a Hebrew scholar by, of any, I don't even know what the period is in Hebrew. But as you read the, the commentators, some of them will declare that, say that, well, he really wasn't talking about killing whatever came out. It was more dedicating it to the Lord. But from my understanding and from the translation work that we see in our Bibles, it's very clear that he talked of a burnt offering, of death, the taking of a life in honor of God. 
Now this is where it gets a little confusing because we know that God in his law, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers, was very much against human sacrifice. In fact, that was one of the reasons why he wanted to completely wipe out the Canaanites because that was one of their practice. But whether in desperation, in influence from the, from the culture of that day, we don't know, Jephthah made the vow. Verse 32, so Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against him, and the Lord gave them into his hand. Again, the Lord gave the victory. And he struck them from Aor to the neighborhood of Manith, 20 cities, and as far as Abel Kernurmanen, that's a good one, with a great blow, so the Ammonites were subdued by the people of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him. With tambourines and with dances, she was his only child beside Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. The agony of victory. Dads, can you at all put yourself into his shoes? And moms, what to do? What to do? Because just as the law made it very clear that human sacrifice was wrong, the the law also made it very clear to keep your vows, especially your vows to God. The agony of victory, a moment of great victory and great sorrow. So what can we learn from Jephthah? Jephthah lived in a time of idol worship. And we see the influence of a godless culture on God's people. We see it over and over in the book of Judges. The influence. The idol worship that was abomination to God. And much of this idol worship include, in, uh, included deviant sexual activity and child sacrifice. And sad to say, this did have some bearing on Jephthah's life. He was conceived in sin. And because of the influence, he was willing to offer human sacrifice if that meant victory. Now, side note is, 
We would think that's horrible, and yet look at our culture today. Are we see serving the Baals? Is our culture serving the Baals? It's interesting. Since the Roe v. Wade uh, overturn of the Supreme Court, it's amazing how many testimonies you hear about from successful women that they wouldn't be where they're at if they hadn't had their abortion, if they hadn't sacrificed their child. Is our culture any different than the Ammonites and the Canaanites? Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Jesseth's faith came not in understanding the complete picture, but in a belief in an almighty God. And he surely made some mistakes, but he also put his faith in a God. And God didn't give Jephthah and the Israelites the victory because he made that vow. He gave it in spite of that vow. It's because Jephthah said, the victory is the Lord's. The Lord will give us the victory. But there's another character in this story, and that's Jephthah's daughter. 37, so she said to her father, let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity and I and my companions. So he said, go. And then he sent her away for two months and she departed and she and her companions had wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of two months, she returned to her father who did with her according to his vow that he had made. I'm sure when Jephthah said go, he was hoping she never came back. I think Jephthah was hoping there was some way out of this. I was reading one commentator and he said, there's two people in the Bible that willingly gave up their life to fulfill the promise of their father. Jephthah's daughter, and Jesus. She willingly gave her life to honor and obey her father's vow. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do we contemplate the agony of victory? The agony of victory over sin and death? So quickly, what are the lessons we can learn today? First of all, it doesn't matter where you came from, who you are. 
how smart you are, how good looking you are, how talented you are. It does not matter where you come from and who you are. God wants to use you. Second of all, let's be wary of the influence of our culture. Even though Jessa had a faith in God, he let the culture influence his decision making. He thought he needed to make a deal with God. Which brings us to a third point. Let's not make deals with God. God is the only deal. Sometimes we would like to pray and we think, well, God, if you fill in the blank, then I will fill in the blank. Or maybe it's like, God, look what I'm doing for you. You owe me. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about God and what he did for us and does for us. See, God didn't want Jephthah's vow. He wanted his obedience. Do we live a faith-driven obedience? Or do we live a performance-based obedience? See, outward they can look very similar. But it's all about our heart. And our belief in our Savior that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have the details of God's plan. Jephthah didn't. We know that Jesus came and died for us. We know that there's nothing we can do to earn salvation. Do we agonize over the victory? Do we remember? You know, once a year we do on Good Friday, right? We contemplate the cost of victory. We contemplate the cost of our salvation. I think we need to every day. I think we need to contemplate what Christ did for us willingly when we didn't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to deserve it, to earn it. See, there's a difference between sacrifice and surrender. They can look the same, but sacrifice is about us, what I'm doing. Surrender is about Jesus, what you have done, and what you are doing. Where are you today? Where is your faith today? Have you just surrendered it all to Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, these are hard stories to comprehend. We don't totally understand. We do know that we live 
when there's a complete picture of your great sacrifice, of your willingness to come. The pain you suffered, the pain the Father suffered to see you hang on the cross. Let's not forget, let us not forget that. And that we can go in a life of surrender to you. Lord, what a freedom that is. The world would tell us that that's bondage, but it is freedom and the world is bondage. Lord, dismiss us with your peace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.